Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. We're going to be in Matthew 28 today. For those of you guys that know your way around the Bible, Matthew 28, page 828 in the hardback. If we just handed that to you, page 828. Everybody else, we're going to the very last few sentences of Matthew. And if you've known Jesus for a while, you know where this is headed. It's going to be a good time. We're going to be talking about the Great Commission. Let me turn there myself. In case you missed last week, let me bring you back up to speed. Today is the second of five installments where we are talking about a desired alternative future. We want to go somewhere as a family. We want that. That's better than this. We're not complaining about this, but that is better. You guys with me? It's like when you were a kid and your dad took you to Carl's Jr., You were going to say thank you because dad took you to Carl's Jr. But there's no happy meal here. So let's be honest. This is good. We're not going to complain or it's going to go bad for us. But there's no toy in the box. So a healthy Christian church must always, always, always have the gratitude to say thank you, Lord, for how far you have brought us. But a hunger, which I'm going to argue is rooted in the Great Commission, a hunger to keep going. Can I get any amens yet? Okay, the the first sign, let me go dark, let me go really dark and emo for a moment. The first sign that your church is dead or about to die is when you're completely satisfied with everything. Satisfaction in a church is just as dangerous as you being a small business owner, you get up to three employees and then you coast. Everything's fine, you're selling widgets, and then somebody Amazons you. What's this thing called Amazon? There's a forest? And it crushes you. Why? You were satisfied. You stayed where you were. You didn't keep your eyes on the horizon about where you were going to go. You stayed there. You had your cute little donut shop. And then what happened? Somebody starbucks you. And it only took them 20 years to do it. Right? If we look at life-altering things in the business world, you look at them and go, oh, that was 25 years in the making. Apple catching up to and surpassing Microsoft took 20 years. Okay, what about a church? If we have a desired alternative future, we're already pointed in the right direction because we're hungry, right? Some of you guys can smell the food and you're like, yes, amen, Pastor Greg, I'm hungry. A church that has a desired alternative future, ultimately, I'm gonna argue, is an obedient church because Jesus Christ himself has given us that alternate future and told us to go for it. Okay, So if he is Lord over us, if he's the boss, if he's the king and we are his joy-filled subjects, we care deeply about where we're headed as a family. How do we get there? Well, you guys know how to get to Disneyland. It's I-5. You might have a choice for $5.99 for a while, but at some point you've got to merge and then do the grapevine thing. We all know how it's going to be. But we have to talk about it. We have to think about it. We have to decide who's going to drive, which vehicle, how often are we going to do potty breaks, right? Fellas, just let it go. You're not getting to Disney in one potty break. This is not a dude's trip. If it was a dude's trip, we, we know we could do it, 
But this is not a dude's trip. This is everybody. And so, so we are going to leave Citrus Heights. We're going to get breakfast in Sacramento. We're going to go potty in Elk Grove. We're going to go potty in Galt. We're going to go potty in Lodi. We're going to go potty in Manteca. You know how this is going to go because everybody, it's a family trip. That was for free, gentlemen. Just emotionally prepare yourselves. So last week, trivia time, we talked about our first vision statement. Any really studious person remember what is our first vision statement that we talked about last week? It's all right, I don't remember either. We see God leading us to become a people defined by prayer. Don't worry about not remembering it. Flywheels have to be pushed multiple times over a long period of time before momentum is gained, amen? Our elders can tell you we're working on gaining a lot of momentum in prayer. We're working very hard at it. Today, we're talking about a second piece of the family road trip where God is taking us. We see God leading us to become a training ground for passionate disciples of Christ. A training ground. Not a library where we read books and books alone give us everything we need. Not a pleasure cruise where we get what we want all the time and it's all about us. A training ground. If I was a little more aggressive, I would say Pendleton. Right? So we're going to talk about what this looks like, but we're going to first, most importantly, go to the Word of God. So read with me if you would. If you're new to the Bible, after Jesus died on what we now call Good Friday, raised himself to life a couple days later on what we call Easter, and for 40 days shows himself to people and teaches and encourage, excuse me, restores Peter after he face plants big time betraying Jesus. Jesus does a number of things. But then in the midst of it, he tells the disciples, hey, go up to a mountain in Galilee and I'm going to meet you there. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee. Wait, quick trivia question. I thought there were 12. What happened? Yeah. Judas got kicked through the goalposts of life. Yeah. So he betrayed Jesus and then killed himself out of guilt. Side note, godly guilt leads to repentance, not killing yourself. That's satanic guilt. The 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Is that hilarious or what? I'm going to keep saying this until I'm blue in the face. If the disciples made up Christianity after the fact, they did a terrible job writing the Bible because they look like idiots. Verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Is that a big statement? Is that a humble college professor with some cute ideas? Is that an author who wants to you know, just sell a little book and make squeak out a nice living and, and, then, and then move on. Wow. All authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, 
I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Holy Spirit, teach us the Bible today. Make us joy-filled and humble and submissive, God, as we listen eagerly for the commands of our King. Grant us obedience today that glorifies you, that blesses Citrus Heights, and that gives us joy. The precious name of Jesus Christ, we ask for this. God's people said, amen. Note takers, grab your pens. Imperfect disciples like us can still make new disciples. Did you know that? Did you guys hear that? Jesus shows up in the flesh after they saw him crucified and they're just, "Mm, maybe, right? I went on vacation to Vegas a couple years ago and I saw a guy pull that trick, gets killed by the Roman governor. No, 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 you didn't see that, right? This is incredible evidence that faith and doubt are spiritual, not intellectual. They're just not. I've been joking for, well, especially the last four years. If Donald Trump saved a kitty from a tree, certain media outlets would find a way to paint that as a terrible act. Right? And if Barack Obama or President Biden were to save a kitty cat from a tree, other media outlets would find a way to say that's the worst thing ever. Right? It's not about the facts. Belief and disbelief are on a spiritual level. They're out of my desire. They're what I want. And there is something in, it didn't say all of them, it says some of them. Some of the 11 are still just not so sure. Brothers and sisters, is it good news that at this point in the story, the Holy Spirit hasn't come? Because even with the Holy Spirit, I still doubt, but man, Philippians tells me the Spirit's the one who gives me the desire and the power to do what pleases God. He gives me the desire to trust God and he gives me the power to trust God. Woo! If you're really good at being good, that point didn't make any sense to you. But for some of us, some of us are sinners. Some of us are not good at being good and we need a merciful and powerful God. I, I, I put this first point in here, guys, because I... I don't know. In a, in a, when you preach to a whole population, it's really hard. I, I'm, I, I know where Denny's at because we've been in a group together, right? And I know where Neil's at because we're elders together and we talk. I do not know where every person is at when, they, when we read through the Great Commission, but when some of us read this, we go, huh, My imperfection is not an excuse for not making disciples, but we know intuitively there are probably people in the room that are hung up on this. You want to call it the enemy lying to you, your own um, lack of confidence inside your own soul, insecurity. Um, Maybe somebody else looks really like a professional Christian while they know Bible verses on their Bible verses and they're always serving and they're in six different ministries and Clearly, we should leave this to the professionals, right? These 11 imperfect men started the church of Jesus Christ that's still standing 2,000 years later. Brothers and sisters, do not wait for some imaginary, I have my act together, to now 
share the gospel of Jesus Christ with my coworker, teaching him or her to obey all that he commanded. We've preached before. There was a woman who had an interaction with Jesus in John 4, right? Not a particularly moral woman. She knew very little about Jesus when in her joy she gets up and runs into town to tell everybody, what, her 28-point doctrinal thesis about who Jesus is? No, come meet a man who told me everything I ever knew. She knew one thing about him. And she's already going and replicating other disciples. She's obeying the Great Commission before Jesus even gave it. Why? Because that's what transformed people do. I want to introduce you, in case you don't know, Pastor Charles Spurgeon. He was a pastor in London in the 19th century. And the quick and dirty is this. He pastored before electricity to something like six or 7,000 people were in one service. That's how big the building was. And if you can imagine how you have to project and everyone has to stay really quiet to hear the sermon, he founded a preaching school where on the first day they would not let you in. They put a tape measure around your chest and if your chest wasn't big enough, they didn't let you in. Because there, there were no microphones and project. You had to be able to shove sound out of your voice and the size of your chest is directly core. Like if you had a big old barrel chest, they said, awesome, we're gonna teach you doctrine. And if you were a tiny little person, they're like, hey, you're gonna teach Sunday school. You know, like, <laughs> however, <laughs> we're gonna put you with 12 and you're gonna be really faithful. Jesus did that, it's okay, you know. Um, huge, huge ministry, okay? Lots, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, mostly British, most in London, came to know Jesus Christ through his ministry. So I'm, I'm trying to give you the magnitude before I tell you this story. Charles Spurgeon was 10 years old, walking through a pseudo-blizzard, the cold snow of London on a Sunday morning. He had never been to church, and he's walking by a church and sees this door propped open, and he'd tell you years later, he had no idea why, felt compelled to walk in. So this 10-year-old Charles Spurgeon goes to church and sits on the back pew and because of the snow, the pastor had not been able to get to church that morning. And so one of the men, who was a regular guy, member of the church, gets up and says, well, I suppose somebody ought to share. And he opens the Bible, and he reads what he read in his own personal devotions that morning. He reads the same scripture and shares what he learned that morning. It was eight or nine minutes. And Charles Spurgeon's testimony is, I heard of the love and mercy of God through the blood of Jesus Christ that day from an untrained, unskilled, not particularly great speaker, and God changed my heart and he saved me. Brothers and sisters, there are people here in the room right now, you have never once taught a Sunday school class. You've never led a small group. You've never preached and if there is a need for someone to testify of the goodness of God through the cross of Jesus Christ, you can do it and the gospel is just as powerful off your lips as anybody else's. That gentleman that day did not know that the 10-year-old boy at the back was gonna lead tens of thousands of people to Christ. There's no way you could know that. We don't know the future. Imperfect disciples still 
make new disciples. Secondly, our lack of evangelistic passion is an authority problem. Our lack of evangelistic passion is an authority problem. I, I promise it'll, that last point was uplifting. The next ones will be uplifting, but we got to go dark for a moment. Yeah. It's an authority problem. Okay. I want you to chat for a moment with the people you're sitting with. If you have the Rona, you shouldn't have shown up this morning anyway, so hopefully no one's going to get anybody sick. And I want you to ask yourself this question and talk through What are the purposes of an embassy? What are the purposes? What is an embassy accomplishing and the ambassadors who are there, what are they accomplishing? I'm gonna give you about a minute and a half to talk. Go ahead and do that. Anybody want to share what your group talked about? I'm going to repeat your answers, by the way, for those who are at home, because I'm the only one with the microphone. Anybody want to share? What are the purposes of an embassy? To represent another country. For those, for those of you at home, Rosetta's sharing her story. Wow. Represent another country can, like if you're dealing with citizenship status, my status for existing here or there, safety issues. Yeah. yeah. Protection. Wow. Sanctuary. If you're in another country and things go dark, right? Delegated authority. Delegated authority. 
I like that. I like that. An ambassador, you know, an ambassador, the queen of England sends out an ambassador to Thailand. And we know if that ambassador says something to the powers that be in Thailand, I want to say the king, but they just had like an uprising. So I don't know who's in charge there now. Um, If that ambassador says something, they do so with the full authority of the queen of England, right? Yeah, invest in a relationship, develop that relationship. Yeah, amen to that. That's good. Any other answers? Those are good answers. Sometimes a mediator in case of conflict. Yeah. Or trying, yeah, trying to avoid war, avoid an escalation of the conflict get you out of jail for an individual citizen. Yeah. Huh. Let me ask you a geography question. When you're standing in that embassy that we're talking about, the British embassy that's in Thailand, you walk inside, which country are you in? You're in the UK. That, that's part of how embassies work. Is sovereignty. So let me ask you guys a question, brothers and sisters. Inside the Christian life, we don't have a physical temple anymore because Jesus said, I am the temple. I'll tear it down in three days, I'll rebuild it. Christ is in us. Inside me as a Christian, which country is that? The kingdom of heaven. Wherever I go, inside me is the kingdom of heaven. And that's why he says, as you go, make disciples of all nations. Like, I'm not super concerned about which flag they have right now. I'm more concerned about which flag they fly at the end of their life when it's heaven and hell. I wonder how an embassy would function if you were there You had the cushy job, you had the car with the special plates, you could drive as fast as you want, you have a nice salary, but you aren't totally sure that the Queen of England sent you to Thailand. What would happen if she did send you and you're there in Thailand on the ground, but you're not sure that she sent you? How's that gonna affect behavior? Well, you got an email and said, oh, the whole thing was a mistake. You weren't supposed to go out there. Oops. And your confidence is totally undercut now, isn't it? I wasn't even supposed to be here. This was a mistake. Are you going to go talk to the government of Thailand with a degree of authority after that email? ARCF? How do we talk to America? How do we talk to her? Do we talk to her like the King of Kings sent us? Or are we not so sure? Or maybe we know he sent us, but we really don't like this assignment. We're kind of grumpy. Anybody here? This is a safe place. Anybody ever had God tell them to do something and they weren't happy about it? My hand's up. Okay. (laughs) 
Watch for the wives grabbing their husband's hand and raising their hand. Just because our king said something doesn't mean that we always joyfully receive that command because we're still fighting against the old self. If we're Christian, we have that old self that Paul calls the flesh and the new self, that spirit-filled self that loves and enjoys obeying the king. How well does the embassy function if the ambassador is grumpy, bitter, wants to be on vacation somewhere else? Our lack of evangelistic passion is an authority problem. Did the king send us or not? Isn't it amazing how adult Christian behavior really goes back to the Sunday school questions from when you were five, if you were blessed enough to be in the church when you were five years old? We're doing basic stuff here, grown-ups. Jesus is king. Jesus is my king because he washed away my sin with his blood and he sent me. And now I need to act sent. Anybody's mind's blown? You've never heard that before? If you're new to church, you've never heard that before. But any regular Christian never heard that one before? Jesus is my king. He sent me and here I am with a message of peace to a lost and dying world. No, none of us is shocked by that one. ARCF, we don't have a knowledge problem. We have an authority problem. Those of you who are or have raised children, how many times did you deal with your child on a specific behavior because they didn't know the right thing to do and then you informed them, maybe repeatedly, and then how many times did you still deal with that because of an authority problem? They knew absolutely right from wrong. You had told them, you had trained them there's more in play than just knowledge. Third, did you notice in verse 19, Jesus didn't tell us to hire a staff to go make disciples? Did you guys, like, were you as surprised as I was? Like, wait, where's the staff? I need my salary to be paid. Jesus, you, you did this wrong. Surely he messed it up. Therefore, Put money together and hire Greg to go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? That would be convenient for me. I like my paycheck. Who doesn't like their paycheck, right? I'm a professional after all. Trust me, folks. Leave it to me. It's going to be fine. That's not what Jesus said, right? This is not bad news for me. This is tough news for you. Jesus did not leave anybody off the hook. And I say hook like it's a negative thing. Are you kidding me? You're already an evangelist if you've ever been to Cheesecake Factory. There's no such thing as going into Cheesecake Factory, tasting cheesecake, and telling no one. That's not a thing. It is our joy to testify of who our Savior is and that his love is for everybody and his salvation is for everybody. Brothers and sisters, there's no such thing as a professional Christian. It's not a thing. And the Great Commission isn't for your leaders. It's for every blood-bought saint, period. I know, I didn't get a single amen on that because that one's tough. Wait, I'm going to go make disciples? Yes, you. I should have put up that picture of Uncle Sam right now. I want you 
but with Jesus' face. (laughs) Fourth, making disciples is proactive. If you stated this in the negative, you'd say, there's no such thing as making disciples of Jesus by accident. You can make disciples of Satan by accident. You can make disciples of your favorite television show by accident. You just float downstream like a dead fish through life, doing what everybody else does out of the same values everybody else offers. But being a member of the kingdom of God, that's going to be different. You have to be ready for nobody to understand what you're thinking, for no one to believe what you're believing, to no one to approve of what you're doing. And that's just me being a Jesus follower. What about me going out and making more Jesus followers? This is going to be proactive. Look at verse 20 again with me. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. If there was a contest for the least favorite Bible verse, that might be in the top 10. See, I don't know about you, but my old flesh, I don't want to teach these new disciples. I want to offer some thoughts and then they can decide for themselves if they want to follow. That way everybody still likes me. The Bible calls that the fear of man. Teach these new disciples to, what's the dirty word? The dirty four-letter word of the Bible? Obey. Everybody's least favorite word unless it's on their genes. Teach to obey. This language is so saturated with Jesus' presumption that his disciples are already following him out of joy. If we read these words out of context, it sounds grumpy. It sounds like a downer. It's Jesus smashing us under his thumb. You gotta obey, you gotta obey. No, 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 no. Jesus knows that he's talking to people that are, their starting point is, he saved me! Teaching obedience to that kind of a spirit? Now we're talking. A grateful heart? One who gets the gospel, is saturated in the gospel, couldn't stop sharing. Like, Lord, remind me of that. So I want you to ask yourself a question if you're a Christian and you call ARCF home. What am I doing to teach disciples to obey? I want you to ask yourself this question because if you do not ask yourself this question, No answer is an answer, right? Parents and grandparents, are you with me? The kid doesn't answer the question, that's an answer, all right? We need to park on this for a moment because if we miss this, um, Pastor Greg wasted his breath and God doesn't get his glory, Citrus Heights doesn't get the blessing and we don't get the joy. There's a lot riding on this. So we're Americans in a digital age and we hate silence, so I'm gonna do you wrong right now. I'm going to give you a good minute of utter silence. Please, please, please. I'm going to do the same thing right now. Ask yourself this question in the quietness of your soul, just you and God.
you could teach disciples to obey by reading a children's Bible to your kid each night or to your grandkid or niece or nephew, whoever you've got opportunity. You could teach disciples to obey by being a teacher or a teacher's assistant in kids' adventure on Sunday mornings. You could teach to disciples to obey by having a family Bible study at home. Whatever your home and your household is, opening the word of God together. As the scripture commands that the home is the center of Bible teaching, not Pastor Greg. My name is Pastor Greg. And, and the people in my church are named Emily, Cabrina, Gabriel, and Abigail. You guys will pastor your churches, your families, on par with however well your spiritual leaders aim to pastor theirs. That's what First Timothy 3 says. That's why the elders are pastors first of their homes. You can make disciples and teach them to obey when you engage in friendship at work and your friend has spiritual questions and you help answer them. You can make disciples and teach them to obey when you pray for somebody in your disciple group and they share what's going on in their life and you pray for them. Do you know that when you pray, you're not only making them feel loved and you're going and bringing the problem to God, there are people in the room who are learning how to pray as they listen to you. I didn't know I could ask God for that. You can ask God for that? God cares about that? You're making disciples just by praying. Let alone teaching that it should be instinctual for healthy Christians to pray, right? When you pray, you're, you're saying, yeah, this is normal, healthy behavior. Men, you want to teach disciples to obey? Then get into good fellowship with other men and encourage them to love their wife sacrificially. Or if that man is single, to encourage him to keep his Bible open and his pants on until the day that the Lord blesses him with a wife that is fighting for God's glory, that is encouraging holiness, you're teaching that young man to obey all that Christ commanded. There are lots of ways. And, and this list, if you notice, none of these are things that staff have to do. Dirty little trick, huh? There are lots of ways to teach disciples to obey. Fifth, Christ's presence through his Holy Spirit is what makes us confident, oh, gives us confidence to make disciples. Did you hear how Jesus ended? This unbelievably huge mission. I'm leaving, I know this terrifies you because I'm the rabbi, I'm about to float up into a cloud. You're not gonna figure out what Scotty did or if Captain Kirk needed me more, but I'm going up into a cloud and it's gonna leave you, 11 of you Staring into heaven like, what do we do now? Until an angel says, hey, knock it off, snap out of it. Go do what he said. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. This huge, go make disciples of all nations, it's on you guys, don't worry, it'll be fine, is not, hey, it'll be fine because you guys are awesome. 
It's not what Jesus said. It's not everything that you need you already have inside you. Nope, nope, and nope. Jesus has never said that, and he's not going to leave on that low note. Because as much as our pride might love Jesus trusting us with something, it's a matter of time until we are crushed under the weight that we cannot actually do what he told us to do. Make disciples of all nations? What? And be sure of this. Here's the back half of verse 20. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And how does he fulfill that promise? Church folks, help me out. I heard some rumblies. Thank you. So at Pentecost, five weeks after this, he sends God the Holy Spirit to fill the church. And half the time, not a third of the time the New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit, it's often called, he is often called the Spirit of Christ. Sometimes it's called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, God's Spirit, Christ's Spirit. In the church, working through the church, and it is his presence that that gives us confidence to make disciples. So let me ask an important question. I know you guys wouldn't do this. I'm going to have a little introspection time up here by my lonesome. Greg, do I make disciples like the Holy Spirit is in me? Or do I make disciples like I'm on my own? Do I make disciples like the God who knows nothing of defeat, sovereign, always gets what he wants, like he is in me seeking and saving the lost? Do I make disciples like that's going on inside me on a spiritual level? Or do I make disciples like I have to come up with some clever idea on my own? Man, I need to really talk him into being a Christian He has this problem and he has this problem and he's got this objection. I have to overcome all of these personally. I have to think my way through this. Did Judas Iscariot have lots of objective evidences that Jesus was Messiah? Like, did he get to see stuff with his own eyes for three and a half years? Did that help? Apparently it didn't help. Jesus said, Look, I could send somebody back from the dead. If they didn't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe somebody who's sent back from the dead. Again, because rebellion against God is spiritual, not logical or intellectual. Do I make disciples with my own wisdom, my own ideas? I'm so smart, I'm so clever. Here's how I'm going to talk somebody into being a Christian. Because I'm pretty clever. I just know exactly what I should do. I'll do this and I'll do this and they will decide to follow Jesus. It's gonna be awesome. Right? And you prep all your Bible verses and you're like, the word of God says this and the word of God says that. And they go, I don't believe the Bible's true. Oh, that wasn't in the manual. Let me go back to the manual. Right? Right? Because what you and I actually need in disciple-making is we need the God of, what, 
the one who smacked Saul of Tarsus. That, that's the God that we need. That's the God who is inside us. That's the God who, what, is seeking saving the lost. What would evangelism at ARCF look like if every single saint believed that the Holy Spirit was working inside us and he was gonna get his way? I know we're in coronavirus, but let me ask a theoretical question that you actually leave the cave to kill something and drag it home. Let's assume people are going to work. What do your relationships at work look like or at school or with your hobby, wherever your relationships are, inside the home even? How do you view those relationships if you believe, you know what, the Holy Spirit might have an agenda for this relationship? C.S. Lewis called him the hound of heaven. What if God is coming after my sister and he is going to love her, serve her, and save her whether she likes it or not? What if? Is there anybody here in the room that can say definitively, nope, God does not love my sibling. There's no way he's going after my sibling. There's no way he's gonna love, serve, save, change the heart of my sibling. No, you don't know that. Doesn't matter what their behavior's been like the last 10 years or the last 40 years, you don't know who God is gonna save. Neither do I. What would our prayer life and what would evangelism off our lips look like if we really believed that God might have an agenda? We keep walking, we keep coming up to doors and saying, oh, that door's closed. And God's like, um, you closed it. That, that, that's what God is saying. You have not because you ask not is there are 30 doors here. 29 of them are closed because you closed them. You like door number five. I'm gonna ask for small, safe things because asking God for big stuff terrifies me. I don't trust that he'll say yes. I don't trust that he's going to say yes when and how I want him to say it. I don't like the feeling of tension of trusting God day by day as I ask every morning, Lord, in the morning, I present my requests to you and I look up. I wait expectantly, David said. Do, do you hear what's going on there? What's the next morning going to look like if God hasn't answered the prayer? Lord, in the morning, I present my request to you and I look up. My mom's been praying for her brother for 40 years. And she's not about to stop. How would you share the gospel? How would you make disciples if you believed that God just might have a glorious, beautiful agenda for your friend, for your dad? For your son. God has not told you that your son will not be a worshiper of the Most High. You might have. You might have closed that door and cut off that part of your heart because you're so tired of hoping. You're tired of desiring it more than anything. And I'm here to encourage you 
you don't know what God has up his sleeve. And you're not the judge. You're not the savior. Let him do those things. Let him save. Let him judge. Ask him to continually be merciful in his universe. Ask him to do that. And since he's already told you that his mercy is gonna come through the gospel, tell other people who Jesus is and watch what the Holy Spirit does with it. A training ground of disciples starts with a passion for God's glory and then it manifests in sharing the gospel so that those who do respond to it and want to be disciples, we teach them to obey all he has commanded. All these things are in play if we are a healthy training ground of disciples. I already asked that. So we're gonna spend a few moments responding. And normally we um, have a song to sing and I've asked specifically for us to not sing the song this time. So these words are gonna be up on the screen instead of the words of the song. Um, I want you to ask yourself, what is a training ground? I know it's kind of a, it's a martial image. They gave me a sword and a bow, but I've never fought before and they're just telling me that there is this enemy He's a hater of God. He enticed humanity to rebel against God, unleashing all dark things in the world. And they, they gave me this great news that the king has welcomed me back from my rebellious status. He's welcomed me back, right? An emissary came and told me that the king is offering peace. And I've accepted peace. And now that I am at peace with the king, I'm at war with the world, and they gave me the sword, and they gave me the bow, and they're gonna teach me how to fight against every dark and broken and sad and heartbreaking thing. So we're gonna spend a few moments thinking and praying. I wanna ask you to take your sermon notes and flip them over on the back. I have a few ideas and a few dreams that I want you to think through and pray through over these next few moments. Maybe, just maybe, this is what it would look like or something like it. Maybe this is what it would look like for ARCF to view ourselves as a training ground. You are here to be trained, equipped, and sent out to the glory of God. So spend a few moments thinking and praying and I'll come back up in just a moment.
So here's what's gonna happen. We get an extended response time called the ministry fair. I'm gonna dismiss you to go collect your kids from Sunday school, socialize, use the restroom. We need a 10 to 15 minute passing period here in between because ministry leaders have food that they're gonna be bringing and setting up at these tables. Make sure to be back here in your seat and try shoot for 10 minutes if you can, but if it's 15, that's fine. Back here in your seat because we're gonna have a church-wide crossword puzzle game. So you're gonna get your crossword puzzle and instructions. We have three wonderful, fun gift cards that three lucky people are going to win, but they have to have their crossword puzzle filled out correctly. You're gonna get all your instructions here in just a few moments. So go ahead, get your kids from Sunday school, hang out and socialize, use the restroom, and then we'll get started here in just a few minutes.